Lord and our God, ruler of the universe. We praise your name and we thank you, Lord, for the examples that you've given us in your word. And we're thankful, Lord, that they can teach us lessons for our lives right now. So speak to our hearts in Yeshua's name. Amen. We continue with part four of Jonah. Book of Jonah. Uh, chapter four, verse, well, picking up from last week, chapter three, verse five. The people of Nineveh believed God because Jonah finally made it up there. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Just review. He refused. He went the opposite direction on a boat. And God got his attention with the wind and waves and thrown overboard and whale or large fish swallowing them, throwing them back on shore. God saying, go, Jonah, go again. As I told you, uh, telling you again, go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh, starts preaching, first day preaching. The city repents. That's where we're at. The people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. As we discussed last week, it was more than just God seeing them putting on sackcloth and ashes. It was more than just seeing them, you know, sorry for their, for their wrong deed. <clears throat> Again, there's a lot of people who will curse themselves all the way to the bar, you know, and then go inside, you know, and hate themselves afterwards. It's more than just hating the sin. It's by God's grace turning from the sin. And the key there is by God's grace. There's a lot of people who want to do what's right, desiring to do what's right, but failing to do so. And the key is locking into God's power that gives us the victory. And the way to lock into God's power is to acknowledge to God and to ourselves that we have no power in ourselves to overcome. That we are sinners, that we are sinful, that we are born that way, and that we are in need of divine help to change us. And that's what obviously they did. They heard the message. The city's going to be destroyed. They believed it. They were sorry for the way they were acting. They lamented it. They confessed it. And then by God's grace, they locked into his power. And by God's grace, they turned from their evil way. And so then God relented from the disaster. So how did Jonah feel about this? Chapter 4, verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Unbelievable. He's a preacher, and he preaches a sermon, and people take a hold of it, and they run with it, and tell the whole city, even up to the king. They all believe him, and they all repent. And he's angry. I would be so happy <laughs> if the message that I preached last week, or this week, or whatever, uh, that we would be able to take and take to this whole city and see a revival, not only a revival, but a reformation, a reforming of people's ways and turning to God. But he's angry about it. What's up with this guy? He's angry about it. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, 
Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore fled, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Is that a true statement? What's true about it? Is God gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and who relents from doing harm? Yes. I think yes on that one. I'll give that one a yes. The question, I, the part of the question is when he says, I know <laughs> that you are a gracious. Does he know that? No. Maybe in his head. Right, because he acknowledges it. But if he really knew it in his heart, would he have told the sailors, throw me overboard in order to stop the sea? No, he would have said, oh, this is because of me. The waves are here because of me. The ship is sinking because of me, because I'm running from God's plan. I need to turn to God in repentance. I need to confess my sins. I need to accept God's power to remove the fear out of my heart. And I, and I need to go to Nineveh. And God would have been gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and would have relented from the harm that the wind and the waves that he had brought. So he knew it. He learned it in yeshiva. You know, he learned it in theological school or somewhere. He learned it in, you know, in Shabbat school or whatever. He learned it. He knew it because he parrots it out here. He's, he passed the, you know, the written test at school, but that's worthless if it's not acted out in the life. If we really believe this, we wouldn't kick ourselves so much. We wouldn't be down in the mouth so much. We wouldn't be depressed so much. We wouldn't be so sad so much. We wouldn't give up so much. We wouldn't feel hopeless so much. We wouldn't feel so alone so much. We wouldn't feel desolate. We believe that God loves me. That he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness. And he wants to relent from the harm. In addition to that, he's all powerful and all goodness. And he wants to pour out his grace into me and transform me and change me. It's experiencing it. That's the key. That's the key. When we appear in the, before the judgment seat of God, He's not going to give us a number two pencil and a piece of paper with little circles and multiple choice and see if we can get the answers right. It's not going to be a short answer test. It's not going to be an essay. He's going to test us just like he tested the people in Nineveh. As the Bible says, according to their works, according to the deeds done in the flesh. He will see whether he will know whether we believed him by how we acted upon those beliefs. A person can say they believe that airplanes are much safer than getting in a car. I read the statistics. But if they will drive back and forth to work every day but not get in a plane, they don't really believe it. <laughs> in their heart. We can believe God's word. And by truly believing God's word, 
the power of that word will bring our lives into harmony with that word. And so if Jonah really knew this about God, he would be rejoicing that God did this stuff for the Ninevites. Now we can take him at face value that yes, he knew and he knew God was going to. Uh, another way to look at that is, is at this is, is that he really did know this, but again, obviously he didn't know it for his own life, but he knew this and that was really the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew the Ninevites were mean and cruel and had been torturing his people and were going to continue to torture them and that if he went and they repented, God would not destroy them and they would continue on. And he didn't want them to continue on. And that could be partially true. And that could be partially why we don't pray for those we don't like. Or at least maybe not pray for their repentance. You know, we may pray for the neighbor to move. <laughs> you know, we may pray for the boss to get fired. You know, or to get transferred or something. Hopefully not to drop dead, you know, but we may be praying certain things about people, but are we praying for their repentance? Are we praying for their transformation? Are we praying for our spouses that way? You know, are we hoping just we'll eventually get through it? Or for our children? Or for our parents? Or whoever it is in our lives that annoy us? Because are we afraid that God will work in their lives and relent and we get stuck with them? We end up staying with them. We end up at that job. We end up with them as our boss or their coworker or their, as our, you know, them working for us or whatever. God might do that for them, you know. They may even show up at services with me. I may have to introduce them to everybody. They may want to sit next to me at service. You know, I don't know. So it's easier just to pray, God, just take them away. God, remove them. God, I know you love them good. Love them somewhere else, you know. <laughs> And that might have been what Jonah's issue was. He knew God was going to love them. He knew that they were going to believe. And he didn't want that to happen. There could be some truth to that. Because no doubt he experienced some family, family or friends who were affected and hurt by the Ninevites, by the Assyrians. And so that could be, but still not a good reason. Either way, his reasons stink before God. You've heard the, the saying that, you know, uh, excuses are like noses. Everyone has one and they all smell. <laughs> Maybe you heard another variation of that, uh, you know, type of analogy, but... Uh, <laughs> excuses stink before God. He says, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He is so upset that God spared the Ninevites that he wants to die. He's ashamed. Now, if he really believed what he just said, that God was gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and relents from doing harm, would he want to die? 
No. If you have a God like that, if you experience a God like that, if you are connected with a God like that, who is abundant in loving kindness, you don't want to die. You want to live with him and you want to live for him. So again, he knows it here, but he doesn't know it here. It's too far. It's too far, right? Yeah. He doesn't have God inside. It's only in his head. And I have a feeling that the majority of professed Bible-believing people in this world only have it here, and they don't have a lot up here either. I'm not saying they're not smart people. But people don't know the Bible anymore. And then even among those who do, are we practicing it? Are we living it? If we did, at the percentages of people who say they believe, this country and this world would not be in the condition it's in. So he wants to die. Why does he want to die? Why is he saying it's now better for me to die? Because God was merciful. It's not because God was merciful. Because of what it said before that. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. Thus, he wants to die. What state is he in here? What would we call this? Depression. depression. Right, deep depression. Even to what point? And what do we call that when you want to be depressed? Suicidal. Right? He's suicidal. He's suicidal because he's angry. Angry at who? At God and the Ninevites. And I guess another part of the anger issue could be he's now, in a sense, a false prophet. He said they're going to be destroyed in 40 days and they're not going to be destroyed in 40 days. He's going to look bad. It's, that's a, you know, an interesting point. It just again shows that God's prophecies are conditional prophecies. All of God's prophecies, whether for blessings or for curses, are conditional upon our choices. And so he wasn't a false prophet. His prophecy was conditioned on their reaction. They reacted correctly, and so God relented from his actions. If they turn from that repentance and go back to their sins, then God will go back to his plan, which he does eventually do many, many years later. So he wants to die. He's suicidal because he's angry. This is very classic. Not all people who are suicidal was because they were originally angry. And not all people who get angry eventually get suicidal. But there is a link between the two. Anger can lead to depression. And depression can lead to suicidal thoughts. Why the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Not, do not be angry. Be angry and sin not. Don't let anger take a hold of you. Don't be bitter, whether he's angry at God, or angry at himself, or angry at the Ninevites, whatever, whatever he's angry about. And whatever you're angry about, whoever you're angry at, surrender it to God, and let God remove the anger from you. He's meditating on it, he's dwelling on it, he's stirring it up, and it gets to the point where he is so depressed. He hates that person. And anger, kind of like unforgiveness, and really they go together. But sometimes we could be angry, you know, without having the need to forgive. But unforgiveness or anger, we hold on to those feelings 
often thinking that we're hurting the other person. I'm going to get at that person. I'm never going to forgive that person. Oh, I hate that person. Oh, I hate that person. And most often those people don't even know we exist. They're not thinking about us. They don't care about us. They've gone about their life. They've gone on with their life. And it's destroying us. On your way to work or school or whatever, and you're driving down the road, someone cuts you off, and you're so angry. You're, it ruins your whole ride there. You're upset. You get into work, and you're upset. You yell at someone as you walk in the door. You're upset. These dumb drivers can't people drive. Anyone know how to drive anymore? It messes up your day. You can continue even until you get home. You can get home, kick the cat, yell at the kids, chew out your wife or husband, whatever the case. And that person doesn't even know you exist. They didn't even see you. They didn't even do it on purpose. They didn't hear your horn honk or whatever. They thought you were honking at someone else. And they just drove on merrily along. And it's totally destroyed your day and possibly relationships forever. You might have yelled at your boss and got fired, you know? You come home and your spouse feels, finds out you got fired and, you know, brings up other issues. Anger and unforgiveness only hurts us. One person described it this way. It's like taking a poison pill and swallowing it yourself hoping you're going to kill the other person. I'm going to be angry at them, and that's going to show them a lesson, teach them a lesson. It's not going to do anything to them. But it's going to destroy you, and it can lead to depression, and it can lead to suicidal thoughts. Not worth it. Not worth it. Not worth anything. It doesn't do anything except destroy us. As we see it destroying Jonah. A prophet of God who prophesies from God's word to the king of Israel and then to the Ninevites whom God worked a mighty revival and reformation in Nineveh. And yet he's angry and depressed and suicidal because of it. Don't let anger, I don't care how much you know the Bible, I don't care how long you've been reading the Bible, I don't care how long, how spiritual, you hold on to anger, one sin, one thing, it can destroy everything. And that's Jonah's issue. And it's destroying him. It might just be on one person. You may love everybody else in the world. You may give to good causes. You may get on planes and feed people all over the world. You may do all kinds of great loving things to all kinds of enemies, all kinds of people. But there might be just one person in your life. Are you still holding on to anger? And it can destroy you. It's not worth it. Surrender it to God. Even before we go on to any other slides, surrender it to God. God, take this anger from me. <coughs> Move it. Set me free. And fill me with forgiveness and peace of mind. The Lord says, said, is it right for you to be angry? That's a good question. Is it right for us to be angry? Do we have any right to be angry? If again, all anger does is destroy us. Jonah doesn't answer that. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. 
I don't know why the east side, maybe it's a high hill or whatever, I don't know. But that's further away from Israel, but he goes on the east side of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. But why would he do that? Why would he go up on this hill? Why would he sit there and look over the city to see what's going to happen to it? Hoping God's going to change his mind. Yes, he's hoping that either God's going to change his mind or the Ninevites are going to change their minds and they're going to go back to city, sitting and he wants to see the fireworks. He's thinking, if Sodom and Gomorrah was good, this is going to be great. And I don't want to miss it. So he's sitting there still hoping they're going to get destroyed. He wants to see what's going to happen. That's his state of mind. Now, how can he be that way? If God has already said he's relented from what he's going to do, why would Jonah think that he's got, God's going to destroy them? Because Jonah really doesn't believe that God is gracious, merciful, long-suffering, and abundant in loving kindness. He really doesn't believe it. He knows it, but he doesn't believe it. If we believed it, and we were filled with God's character, if we believed it, and we were filled with God's spirit, we would also be merciful, kind, slow to anger, and filled with abundance of loving kindness. The Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Why did God grow this plant there? He's kind? Why does he do? To show his mercy. He loves Jonah. That's right. He loves Jonah. He loves Jonah. Jonah's angry. Jonah's suicidal. Jonah's a problem. Jonah's. God still loves him. God is still doing all of this for Jonah. And the Ninevites. But God is working for Jonah. God is pouring out his grace upon Jonah. God is trying to deliver Jonah. God is reaching out to Jonah in mercy and loving kindness and slow to anger. He could say, Jonah, you're angry and I'm, you're still, I've tried to try with you and I'm done with you. Forget it. God goes back to wherever Israel, wherever heaven, you know, and leave Jonah on the hill there in the yeah, but God stays there with him. Puts this plant there for him. And Jonah's grateful for it. He's happy for the plant. Now has a little shade, watch the city, nice view. <laughs> Verse 7, as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it damaged the plant that it withered. And when the sun arose, God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Why does God send the worm? He loved Jonah. Why did God send the wind? He loved Jonah. Yes, he still he loved Jonah. He's trying to get Jonah's attention. Whatever way he puts the plant there, Jonah's grateful for the, to the plant. Did it say Jonah was grateful to God for the plant? No. Did it say Jonah prayed and thanked God for the plant? No. 
Did say that God, that Jonah saw how merciful God was to him even in his anger and so that he surrendered his anger and left Nineveh and believed that God had delivered them and, you know, and went back home or, no. He was just grateful for the plan. And so God says, well, that didn't get his attention. I tried niceness. I tried kindness. I gave him a plan. I didn't get his attention. I'll try something else. I'll send a worm and see if that gets his attention. And it does. Better for me to die than to live. Still angry. Still angry, still depressed, still suicidal. Just like it was in the bottom of the boat. God said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. So God asked him twice. You have a right to be angry? This time he answers them. Yes, I have every right to be angry. I'm going to be so angry at that person, I'm going to die. <laughs> Taking the poison pill. I'm going to show them I'm going to kill myself. That'll teach them a lesson. They won't have me around anymore to harass. It's craziness. But that's how Satan works in our minds. That's how he works in our minds. We open the door a little bit, a little bit of anger, and it leads then to self-hatred. Hatred towards that other person then ends up to, to hatred towards us. I have every right to be angry. <coughs> have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? Oh boy, I can't believe they did that to me. I have every right to be angry. They shouldn't have done that to me. Don't they know who I am? I am so nice to them and I am so good to them. How dare they treat me this way? I've worked here all these years and I've put in all these hours and they let me go just like that. When they ask me to do that thing, they don't appreciate me more. Nobody called me. Poor me. I have every right to be angry. Poor me, the insecurity of the poor me is still selfishness. Me is still on the throne. <coughs> so I have every right to be angry. Do we really have a right to be angry? Do we have any rights at all? What is really, biblically, the only right that we have? The wages of sin is death. That's the only thing we have earned. And we've done a pretty good job of it. We've earned that. That's what we deserve. That's the only right we have. We have a right to die. Everything else is a free gift from God. Plant over our head, life, breath, food, anything beyond is all a gift from God. Another day, a brain to think, a heart that pumps, friends, anything else. Use of eyes, ears, hands, whatever he's given us to use. All of that is a gift from God. So if it's all a gift from God, 
If we lose any of that, if we lose friends, if we lose influence, if we lose position, if we lose body functions, limbs, arms, lose health, we didn't deserve it to begin with. It was all a gift from God. So we can say like Job, God giveth and God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked we came into the world, naked we leave. We can't take anything with us, so nothing is really ours. We don't own or possess anything. Thus, we don't have a right to anything. We don't have any rights other than God that God gives to us. God grants to us. He says, I have a right to be angry. And we might think we have a right to feel this way, that we have a right to sin, that we have a right to do wrong, that we have a right to be angry and bitter. Again, that excuse will not hold up in the judgment. Because God has paid the price by giving us his son who has stood in our place to set us free from our sinful nature, to set us free from that wages of sin. He has paid the price for us and has offered us and already really given us the free gift of eternal life through his son, through Yeshua, our Messiah. And because we have that free gift, we can receive it by faith, we can experience it, and we can have the promise of everlasting life. We can have life eternally, and we can have life here, and life more abundantly here as well. Because he has given that to us as a free gift that we can have or that we can reject. However we choose. However we choose. God has given us the right to choose. We don't, again, necessarily have that, but he has given it to us. And then how we use that choice will make all the difference in the world as far as our eternity and our life here is concerned. He's choosing to be angry and even then wants to die. And in a sense, life is not a whole lot of fun if we're angry. You see that in the Purim story? Haman, exalted to next in charge, next to the king. He's making his position, ready to take over the kingship. He's got the king's ring. He's at the banquet, two banquets with the queen. He's got a wife, he's got kids, he's got riches, he's got homes. He's got influence, everybody bowing down to him. He's got fame, he's got fortune, he's got friends. What else does the world want? And yet, he says, none of it is worth anything to me as long as Mordecai the Jew is alive. Anger will destroy it all and make life not worth living, or at least seem that way. And that's how Jonah feels. Life is no fun, even if we held on to anger at one person over one thing or at God, it destroys it all. Not worth it. Surrender all the anger. 
God sets you free. And the Lord said, he doesn't directly address his, I have a right to be angry. The Lord said, you had pity on a plant for which you did not labor, nor made grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 people who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? and much livestock. You're angry because a plant died? And you weren't upset that I was going to destroy 120,000 people? 120,000 kids. Including kids and livestock? How about us? What are we concerned about? There are people who get all bent out of shape, you know, hugging a tree, give their life for a tree, or animal rights, or but don't care that people are dying. And I, I'm all for trees. I was an environmentalist, a forester, you know, whole deal. And you know, animals, whatever they can live to if they want, but you know. <laughs> And nothing necessarily wrong with that. But do we care about plants and animals and not about living beings? Or do we get upset that our mechanical thing broke? You know, or that our roof leaked, or that our car didn't function? Or what are we angry about? Are we angry about these little things? But we're not upset and it doesn't bother us? That every 20 seconds, someone on this earth starves to death? That doesn't bother us that fellow believers are being slaughtered? That it doesn't bother us that anti-Semitism is still active in this world? That it doesn't bother us that every second or even less than a second, a person dies without knowing the Lord and will not go to heaven? Those are the things that bother God. But what are we praying about? Are we praying about our broken car or our broken toaster? What are our prayers about? Do we have God's heart? Obviously Jonah didn't and that's what God's pointing out. That's what God was trying to get Jonah to see is what's important to God. Lost people are what is what is important to God. Not things, not stuff, not even so much plants and animals. I mean, God mentions the livestock here, and God created this, you know, and that's good, you know. If we destroy the planet, God, the Bible says in Revelation, we'll destroy those who destroy the world, we'll destroy the earth. And he does care about the environment. But where's our priority? You know, maybe people first, then the animals are the living things and plants second, and then the stuff third. Where's our priorities? Where do we put our money? Where do we put our time? Where do we put our prayers? Who has our heart? 
where is our heart? And it took God sending Jonah to Nineveh, chasing him in a ship, throwing him in a fish, sending him back, putting up the plant and that whole deal, all to get this one message to Jonah. I don't know what it's going to take for God to get that message, not only into our heads as we've just heard it, but into our hearts. Hopefully it won't take a ship ride and a shipwreck and a whale ride and a vomiting out and a sun-beaten head and wind-scarred skin to get our attention about what are God's priorities. Are we reaching out to the lost? Are we praying for the lost? And now maybe, maybe the most interesting thing about this whole Jonah book and Jonah story is that that's where it ends. That's the end of the book. We never find out what happens to Jonah. Does he relent of his anger? Does he surrender it to God? Does he accept God's heart? Does he accept God's love for even the worst enemies? Does he take on God's character? Does he accept the grace and mercy of the Messiah, forgiveness, to forgive him of his sins, his anger, his bitterness, his lack of caring for people, his selfishness, his depression, his suicide? We don't know. That's where the story ends. And maybe, well, it is a true story. Maybe it's because the story is not about Jonah. It ends there because it really doesn't end because it's still alive today. God is still writing that story about you and me. God is still needing to deliver us from our anger. God is still needing to deliver us from our depression. God is still needing to deliver us from our suicidal thoughts. God is still needing to deliver us from our wanting to give up. God is still needing to deliver us from our concern about the things of this world instead of the things of heaven. So the story continues on. It's still being written in the books of heaven by the choices we make, the decisions we make. Whose heart, whose mind, and whose thoughts do we want to have? Our own, or Satan's, or do we want God? That's where it comes down to. And so as we pray, if there's any anger in your heart, in any way, shape, or form, anger towards anyone or anything about anything, could have been a long time ago. Could be back from your childhood. Whatever the issue, something, someone you haven't forgiven by God's grace. And again, forgiveness does not mean that they are released. It doesn't mean they're now set free to continue in the sin. Forgiven just means you don't hold anger towards them. I ran just this week. Uh, there was a murderer who was sentenced to be hung. He 
You're standing there on the gallows, and the mother of the person that the guy killed went up, slapped him in the face, took the noose off his head, and set him free. The world said, look at that, forgiveness. That's not necessarily biblical forgiveness. If the guy is still a murderer, and still plans on going on and murdering, and murdering more people, she did not do the world a bit of good. And she can forgive, and not hold anger towards him, but not necessarily let him go. Maybe let him go. There are times God lets us go. But biblical forgiveness is, again, not necessarily letting someone continue to hurt us or to hurt others. But biblical forgiveness is not allowing us to continue to hurt ourselves and to hurt others with our anger, but surrendering it to God and giving it over to Him. And so, you're dealing with anger on any issue, surrender it to God. <clears throat> is this not working? And uh, if, uh, or if you are, uh, God's convicting you that you're more concerned for things of this world, whether stuff or plants or animals, than you are for lost people. As we pray tonight, ask God to change your priorities, to change your heart. As we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, Lord, we are thankful for your love and we are thankful for your word. And we're thankful, Lord, for your loving kindness. We are thankful that you are merciful. We are thankful that you are long-suffering. We are thankful that you are abundance, full of abundance of grace and mercy and kindness. And that you are slow to anger. Thank you, Lord, for giving us another day. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for bringing this message to our hearts so that we can be set free from the anger in our hearts and minds. So Lord, remove the anger from us and set us free. Give us forgiveness. Give us love. Give us kindness. Give us goodness. <coughs> give us mercy. And the ability to be so to others. And Lord, set our priorities straight. Give us a burden for the lost. And a love for them. And a desire to share with them. In Yeshua's holy name.